Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you, whether you're here in the worship center or you're in the chapel or you're at our Minnetonka campus or you're watching online somewhere else. So good to be with you. It's the very last Sunday of Advent, which I think is pretty hard to believe. Advent is the season of waiting, where we learn to wait and to be patient for what God is going to do in sending Jesus at Christmas time. And you know, I think we'd all agree waiting can be very difficult. We don't like to wait very often in our life where we prefer instant gratification. We like instant results. We like convenience. We like uh, efficiency. But I think it's during times of waiting that God often does some of his most powerful work. It's the times that he often is able to change the direction of our life where he's able to change our trajectory. And so we've been talking in this series that we're in about some of the big events in our life that cause us to wait. And so we've talked about waiting for marriage and waiting for the birth of a child and waiting for graduation We've talked about in each of those things, God is teaching us and forming us, and we, we learn that we can embrace what God is doing in and through us during the times of waiting, that we can find peace even amidst the crazy and chaotic circumstances of our life, and that we can anticipate and we can have great joy even as we wait. But today, I want to talk about a time of waiting in our lives that I think all of us can relate to, but especially any children that are out there today. And that's the wait to open your Christmas gifts. Right? I think as a kid, it might be one of the most agonizing times of waiting in your life, right? Now, just in case you need a reality check, I'm not sure how you count this exactly, but we're somewhere between like six, seven, or eight days of Christmas shopping left. So pro tip, you know, if you're not done with your Christmas shopping, get out your phone. Everybody will think you're on the Bible app and you can, you know, surf Amazon a little bit. We won't judge. But I've shared this story before, so bear with me if you've heard it. I think... Probably most of us would say we have some sort of tradition in our family or some structure on how and when we open Christmas gifts. Like some families are Christmas Eve opening gift families and some are Christmas Day. And if you're especially lucky, maybe you're both, right? But growing up, we were definitely a Christmas Eve gift opening family. My dad was a pastor at a pretty large church, and so there were Christmas Eve services pretty much all day long. And so we had a very defined, a very narrow window of when we could have Christmas dinner together as a family, and then when we could open our Christmas gifts. So he would come home from the afternoon service, we'd sit down to a great meal as kids were like counting down the moments to when we could transition to the living room, <clears throat> and we could open up our gifts. And we had already been imagining for weeks what was in those boxes and bags and in all those gifts. So we'd have this great meal. We finally would get to go into the living room. But before we could open our presents, one thing had to happen every year. We had to read the entire Christmas gospel. And not one of the short ones. It had to be all of Luke chapter two. Now that's great. But the thing was, in our family, whoever the youngest kid was who could kind of read was the one that would do the reading. 
<clears throat> now, as the oldest child, that meant my opportunity was up pretty fast, and it was on to my younger siblings. Now, if you're at all familiar with Luke chapter 2 and the Christmas story, there, there are some pretty big words for a seven-year-old, like Quirinius, Caesar Augustus, and so on. And so it took forever. Like I was tempted to get up, yank the Bible away, and just do it myself because it was all that was standing between us and opening our gifts. Waiting to open up gifts can be a challenging experience. But I think it's because waiting to open gifts is also a time of great hope and anticipation, right? We're wondering, is this the year that I finally get that gift that is going to absolutely change my life forever? You know, am I going to finally get that thing that all of my friends have that maybe then I can finally be in the inner circle? Or maybe even thinking, maybe I would be the very first one out of all of my friends to have that really great and cool item You know, there's all sorts of commercials all season long trying to convince us that we will never be fulfilled, we'll never be satisfied until we have that toy or that product. And so hope is at an all-time high as we rip into the wrapping paper and the boxes under the tree. Well, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he wrote a prophecy to give his people hope. And it was right in the middle of an incredibly hopeless and trying time of waiting, where the people were waiting for God to come and to do something, to hear their prayers, to change the world, to change their lives. And so I want to read this prophecy with you. It's in Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Now, it's a pretty lengthy passage, so I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to invite you instead to open your Bible or your Bible app or just go to Google and Google Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. And here's what Isaiah says. Nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For it is in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be 
no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So the Israelites had not yet been taken into captivity, but there was a group called the Assyrians that were threatening them. Now, the Assyrians are pretty much like the very worst terrorist group you could ever imagine. And so in verse one, Isaiah starts to lay out this promise from God, but he also describes some geography. And the geography centers around a place called Galilee. Because Israel is hemmed in by mountains on one side and a sea on the other. And so it meant that when their opponents would come to attack, they would almost always come from the north. And it meant that they would arrive in the region of Galilee. And so Galileans didn't just occasionally have a tough day. They lived a tough life. And they understood suffering and conflict. And into that reality, with terrorists knocking on the door, Isaiah says, nevertheless, nevertheless, even with your present reality, God is bigger and God's promise changes everything. Yes, you are amidst a hard, hard time, but nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Suddenly, there's a glimmer of hope. You see, the ones who are suffering most receive this promise from God. The ones who are the brunt of every conflict and every battle, they're the first to see the light. So fast forward then to the New Testament when Jesus begins his ministry. Now, where did Jesus choose to begin his ministry? Let's look at Matthew chapter four, verse 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. But why? To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Those who were walking and waiting in darkness, finally, saw the light of Christ. Jesus went to Galilee first to fulfill the prophecy and the promise that God had made to his people. And Jesus shows that he came to be the light. Now, we definitely have different circumstances that we face today than the Israelites did in Isaiah's time. Isaiah says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The darkness of that time in history is different than today, but maybe not so different than today. I think we too could say we are people walking in darkness. As we look around at our world, we might say there's darkness around every corner. There's wars, there's violence, there's division There's exploitation, there's dehumanization, there's cruelty, there's selfishness. We too are walking 
in darkness. We struggle with hopelessness, I think, because of the darkness around us. But the promise of God is that our waiting will not last forever. It's what we're reminded of again and again and again by God throughout Scripture that our waiting will end, that his promise will come to pass, that Jesus, the light, will come to make all things new and to make all things right. And we call his coming again a second advent. But meanwhile, we wait. Now, this word of hope that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah became a message that his people would cling to for hundreds of years. That not only would light overcome the darkness, but meanwhile, Isaiah says they'll experience growth and they'll experience joy and provision and an end to war. Not just present war, but every war into the future. You see, that's what they were hoping for and what they were waiting for. But here's the thing. Here's where everything gets turned upside down. They start to get a vision for hope and what they can do is they wait and then suddenly God gets a little bit clearer and explains what his solution to their waiting will be. What is the gift that he will give? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. It's not at all what they were expecting. It's not what we would expect, right? I mean, is there really much weaker in this world than a baby? I mean, many animal offspring are way more self-sufficient than a human baby. Think about a baby sea turtle. They hatch on the beach and immediately they're thrust into a life or death race to get back to the water. Before they even have time to look around and relax, they're off and running. But what about a human baby? I mean, it lays in a crib, right? Crying for milk, sleeping 20 plus hours a day, but of course not in a row because that would be way too convenient. They're utterly vulnerable. Anything could happen to them and they'd have no defense. So how is it when God launches his mission to redeem a dark and broken world that he chooses a baby? In what universe does that even make sense? I mean, what is God doing? Well, he's overturning our expectations. God has ordered this world such that weakness overcomes power. Foolishness overcomes wisdom. A child defeats evil. It's an unlikely, improbable, incredible story. When everything else in this world fails, when our best plans are found wanting, when we've reached the very end of what we can do, unto us a child is born. There's a baby in a manger ready to set it all right again. Now, I think we like to think that we're strong and we're mighty and we're capable. We can do it on our own. We could conquer if we'd all come together. But it turns out God doesn't need us at all. No, instead, we need him 
And so in this child, we actually have him. This baby born 2,000 plus years ago is God in a body. And he would be born to usher in true and lasting peace and hope and love. And his kingdom wouldn't just come and go like every other earthly kingdom. No, he will reign forever and ever and his kingdom will have no ends. You see, essentially what God is saying is what the world needs is not a better philosophy or structure of government. What we need is not a perfect system of legislation. What we need is not the ideal political candidate, but instead we need a person who is perfect in character and wisdom and power, who can rule as God on earth. But of course, anytime we encounter centralized power, we become suspicious, right? I mean, can we trust the leader? Can we trust this Jesus? What kind of government is he going to bring anyway? Do I get to cast a ballot? Well, Isaiah tells us precisely what kind of government he will bring. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus governs with wisdom. We're not his counselor, he's our counselor. Jesus governs with strength. He's not just a helpless child, he's also our almighty God. Jesus governs as a father, He cares for us with the affection of a tender father. Jesus governs in peace, peace at every level, horizontal peace with God and vertical peace with others. We'll flip that, vertical with God, horizontal with others. I love the way Pastor Ray Ortland puts it. He says, as the wonderful counselor, he has the very best ideas and strategies. So let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. So let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. So let's enjoy him. As the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome him. Isaiah gave people walking in darkness a reason to have hope, to see and expect the light to come. And so the wait began. They had a new vision for what they had hoped and longed for. And so they were able to wait. But little did they know that their advent calendars would be a little more extensive than ours today. Do any of you have an advent calendar tradition in your family or in your home? We still have the same advent calendar that my mom made when I was growing up. It's great. There's little uh, ornaments to put on a tree. There's a little Bible verse and a little reflection each day. It's a great way to get in the Christmas spirit and to reflect on Scripture each day. But I was reading an article this week about all of the different types of advent calendars that there now are. So, you know, there were always the ones with chocolates, right? But now there's some with whiskey. 
There's one that I saw with fishing lures. There's another with different types of perfumes. But there's one that caught my attention. Did you know that there is a huge market for dog advent calendars? I'm not making it up. You can look it up. But here's the thing. While our advent calendars have typically 24 or 25 windows to open up leading to Christmas, the Israelites of Isaiah's time, they would have needed 700 years of windows to open up. Their season of waiting was more than a season. It was more like an era of longing and waiting. Now, when we were kids, didn't it seem like it took forever to get to Christmas. I mean, it's probably the reason Advent calendars were invented in the first place, right? Some parent was like, I'm sick of hearing my kids say, how many more days until Christmas? I'll just make a calendar that they get to open little windows on. You know, little kids have a hard time with the concept of time, right? Like a day seems like a long, long time. A week seems like eternity. And so the promise of gifts under the tree or in a stocking, often compels kids to keep on waiting, to keep on hoping, to keep trying to be on their best behavior, to keep on watching the calendar until the day arrives. I think as, in, as adults, we can embrace this same type of hopefulness as we wait for Jesus to come again. We can let our confidence and our hope in his promises compel us to live lives that honor him to let our light shine into the darkness of this world, even when it's unpopular, to share the good news of the source of our hope with everyone we can. But you know, it doesn't take long in life for us to experience disappointments. And sometimes disappointment can even come at Christmas when what we're hoping to receive under the tree doesn't live up to its promise. Or maybe it's when the thing that we thought would absolutely change our life for the better just doesn't really do it. I was talking to some friends about this recently, and all of us could remember a time when we had so much hope and we had so much stock put into a toy or a product or a game. We were convinced it would turn our lives upside down. One talked about wanting so badly to get an Atari 2600. Any of you remember that? Like Pong, the little square ball bouncing around. It's going to absolutely change their life. Another talked about one of those big model Millennium Falcons from Star Wars. Again, it was great. Didn't change their life. I remember back to when I wanted nothing more than a skateboard. I was convinced that the skateboard would be my ticket to being one of the coolest kids at school. I was going to become Tony Hawk at my neighbor's ramp like in a couple days. Didn't quite pan out that way. I can show you some scars on my knees that prove that. Right? None of us have ever received a Christmas gift that has completely satisfied and fulfilled us. We've never received a Christmas gift that brought lasting happiness. It's because every earthly gift ultimately goes out of style, becomes outdated, it breaks, or we just lose interest. Yet what Isaiah prophesied is the gift that we really, truly, finally need 
is a gift that will never disappoint. It's a gift that will never lose its power or meaning or significance. Church, it's because Isaiah chapter nine is really the story of how God wins salvation for us. Our lives are hard, really hard. Our lives are messy, really messy. Our sin is great, really great. And our need is overwhelming, really overwhelming. But God's gift of grace in Christ Jesus is so much greater. There is no end to what he will provide and give us to fulfill our deepest needs. That's why in verse 7, he says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, do you understand what this means? Christ isn't going to come and reign for a little bit and then fizzle out. Instead, his reign comes and increases and grows and becomes even greater day by day. He's not going to reign over just some little sliver of the Middle East. No, he reigns over our entire world and our galaxy and our universe and our cosmos. And his rule will not be like earthly governments that go from war to war to conflict to conflict. Once he conquers evil, there will be peace forever and ever. His victory is total and it is complete. His kingdom has no end, we are told. It fulfills all promises. It accomplishes everything that we really need. Once it is established, it's set it's just, and it's righteous, and it will last forever. Now, this should be really, really good news for anyone who's walking in darkness, but even more so for anyone facing oppression or injustice, because it means evil's time is running out, because the light has been switched on. The light has begun to shine in the darkness, and his light and his grace will continue to expand until every inch of this universe will be filled. But the natural question then is, how do we know that this will happen? How do we know that this just isn't just another promised gift that will fail to live up to its hype? I mean, it's a big, big world and history is complicated and there's always another villain or evil empire around the corner. But there's something amazing about these verses from the book of Isaiah, something I want you not to miss. And that's that God's people aren't the subject of any of the verbs. God's people aren't the subject of any of the verbs. Only God is. He is the one doing it all. And he does it with or without our help. And he does it all for our good. 
The Israelites couldn't do it if they tried and neither can we. This is something only God can do. See church, Advent and Christmas is a time to remember that God loves to do for his people what they can't do for themselves. God loves to do for his people, which is all of us, what we can't ever do for ourselves. And he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish, period. So look at the end of verse seven. It says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What does that mean? It means God's passion is driving this and his passion is saving lost people like us. His passion is mending broken relationships like ours and God's. His passion is giving us hope for a better future. And he doesn't get tired. He's just getting started. The more he triumphs over darkness and evil, the more his glory is made known and is seen. So church, when Isaiah promised the birth of a savior for the people of Israel, they had no idea how long it would take to receive that gift. But their hope endured. And so in the same way, as we wait for Jesus to come again, and to make all things new and to make all things right. We can be confident that what God gives will never, ever disappoint. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks that even in the darkness and chaos and craziness of our world, you bring true hope. God, you know every circumstance, you know every detail of our life, and yet you still remind us that because of what you've done for us in Jesus, we can have hope. Even when it feels like everything's falling apart, even when it feels like everything is hopeless, you can still write a new chapter. So God, I pray that each one of us today would trust you more, would experience your peace and your love and your grace and your hope. God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to overflow with hope this Advent and Christmas season. God, as we have people in our lives, in our family, our friends, coworkers who experience hopelessness, give us the boldness to introduce them to where they can truly find hope, which is through and in you. And so God, we're so thankful that you don't just leave us to wander in the darkness but instead you actually came and you found us and you picked us up and you've given us hope for the future. 
Help us to walk into that today. We pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.